Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Of course, it is New Year's Eve, and there could be many topics that we could preach on this morning. Uh, maybe perseverance, or faithfulness, or continuing in the things that thou hast learned. Keep pressing on. Uh, instead of preaching on a topic, one of those, we're going to do one of those things and continue in the things which we are learning. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, I think there have been two previous Sundays that I've preached, um, and we've been in this passage, the first 10 verses, the next 10, and then uh, we'll look at verses 21 through 25 this morning. But considering the body of Christ... And even as was um, announced, uh, it's our—it's the last uh, Sunday of the year, our, for lack of a better term, a deacon installation service, if you will. And as uh, as I was looking at uh, the the content, the topic, it wasn't a hard, it wasn't a struggle, really, to preach and to consider the purpose of the deacon and the deacon installation and the body of Christ uh, as we consider the needs of each other. Uh, and as we care one for another. And the title of the message this morning is Caring is Very Others-Oriented. Caring is Very Others-Oriented. Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm actually going to start in verse 20, but we'll go down through verse 25. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20. But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the topic. Thank you for the, uh, Lord, in my mind, Lord, the timeliness as we consider our church in the interim between pastors and how we need to function together. As we focus on these, these verses, help us to consider your word Lord, help it to reign in our hearts, in our lives. Lord, there are things we've heard before, but help us to reflect on them anew and glean and learn and respond. Even as Floyd mentioned, Lord, as we end this year, we're thankful for it. But as we choose, as we go into the next year, may we choose to love you and respond rightly to your instruction. In Jesus' name, amen. So from a quick uh, context, it's been several months. Um, look at verse 1. I'm just going to highlight briefly a few things um, to make sure we're, we're in the same frame of mind. Chapter 12, verse 1, just let your eyes glean over and glass over those, uh, those words. But we, introduced, we were introduced to spiritual gifts in these first three verses. We also looked at James, where he, he looks at every good gift, every perfect gift from above, he contrasts uh, earthly wisdom, that fleshly uh, wisdom, with that which is from above, the heavenly wisdom, wisdom. And we know that all spirits are not right. There are good spirits and there are wrong spirits, which is why 1 John tells us to try the spirits. So those spiritual gifts that were given 
those which are good we need to promote. And in verse 4 through 6, we saw the differences of those gifts. Many differences, but one giver. There's a distinct variety in gifts, ministries, effects, but the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God. Differences are okay. Division is not. Differences are okay. And why are these gifts given? Well, in verse 7 through 10, it's really for the widespread benefit of the church, the common good of the church. And then we saw God's perfect distribution of those gifts to the individuals, his choice. And then in verse 12 through 13, uh, the Apostle Paul, of course, under inspiration, gives us the parallel of the physical body to the spiritual body. And we'll see more of that today. Verses 14 through 16, there was further clarification given to us, wrong perception versus the right perception of what God's intentions are. And in verse 17, there was that extreme scenario, if we, if we understood what it was saying, if the whole body were the eye, where were the hearing? Imagine if all of us were an eye, we'd have to change maybe the shapes of the doors so that the big eyeball comes rolling in. Okay, so that's not the point. And we'll see that again today as we discuss some of these things. Or the hearing, right? Consider the, the ear or the nose. However, God's design is perfect. He distributes it perfectly. The body is given there for a parallel, that extreme scenario. And this, of course, our course correction. Of course, if we designed it as everyone was an eye, that's the wrong way. So God corrects our course in verses 18 through 20. He's the one that chooses the gifts, gives them to the members, distributes them his way. But now are they many members in verse 20, yet one body? And this morning's focus, caring is very others-oriented. And as we read some of this passage, starting in verse 21, no doubt there, there were familiar things to us. Nothing was new. We've heard it before. But if God said it twice or refreshed it, I need to hear it again as well. So in verse 21, the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So the first thing, it's not our choice, it's God's. God is the one that chooses, not the eye, not the head, but it's God that chooses. Do you see an element of scolding here? I mean, if, if we see the parallel, we as the church, and the instruction is the eye cannot say unto the hand, don't say to the hand, if you have a gift, don't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Don't say to the feet, I have no need of you. If we put ourselves in this place, there are human thoughts that we have. As I was reflecting on this, and when the eye says to the hand, I have no need of you, we'll see this in just a few, a few minutes as we look at in James, but we're making a determination. We're the judge when we say the eye to the hand, I have no need of you. And the head determines the foot is useless, or because the foot maybe doesn't rule over the body, the head has no need for the foot, so I have no need of you. And without being graphic, um, you know, off with you. Does that sound a little ridiculous for the, the eye to tell the hand, be away with you, or the head to the foot, I don't need you, there's no, no reason for you to be here? But there was failure in the church the reason that it was written for us, written for them, written for us. Certainly it's in the context of spiritual gifts. God gives those gifts. I'm going to paint a picture for you when we think of the gifts in context of verse 21. Look, look at the structure of verse 21. 
it's got the body as the parallel, but we're talking about the spiritual body, the church, and these are the gifts that God has given. So should spiritual gift A tell spiritual gift B, I have no need of you, just leave it out of the church. Spiritual gift C tells spiritual gift D, I have no need of you. You don't belong in the church. But yet, does that ever happen in the church? How does that squelch the gifts that God has selected? He has put in the church for a reason. We just talked about this last night. We had a comment. I said, we're going to talk about spiritual discrimination in the church today. Do we ever discriminate? The spiritual gift A discriminate about spiritual gift B and says, I have no need of you. Turn to James and let's read a passage we're probably familiar with. I may have even turned here before in a previous uh, message. It's good for us to read God's word again. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons, right? Considering the context of 1 Corinthians 12. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. Now stop. Stop. Look. Is there any problem with a man in goodly apparel coming into the church and a poor man coming in in not so good apparel coming into the church? Anything wrong with that? No. Are they different? Yep. Are differences okay? Yep, there sure are. Now, let's continue reading. And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say to him, Sit thou here in a good place. And say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. We've looked at God's choice. We've looked at our error, our choices that we would make, the scolding really that the scripture gives to us. God chooses the poor. We have despised the poor. There's no problem with the difference between the rich and the poor. But isn't it easy? My natural bent. It's easy to elevate. And I wrote this down. It's easy to elevate that which is nicer. You think of the one that comes in good apparel or the one that is rich it's easier to elevate them or to be kind to them or to bestow honor upon them. We'll see the word honor that comes a little later. But then we also choose to suppress that which is lesser in James chapter 2. Right? Sit thou here and tell the poor, stand thou there or sit under my footstool. Not only are we passive and we don't just kind of not even give place to the poor, but we're actually saying, nope, stand down there. You don't belong this close to me, in this place of honor. We'll see honor in a few minutes in 1 Corinthians 12. But we become judges of ourselves. We become partial in ourselves and become judges of evil thoughts. God chooses the poor. We have despised the poor. Turn back to uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and let's continue. So God chooses the poor, but we chose the rich. Let's personally meditate and let's reason together. 
when spiritual gift A, think about this. We talked about spiritual gifts, and they were partial, and they judged whether a spiritual gift should be in the church or not. When spiritual gift A has thoughts of uh, spiritual gift B and says, we don't need you. Verse 21, I see there are four items in there, right? The eye, the hand, the head, the feet. Four spiritual gifts. I'm not saying there are only four spiritual gifts in the church, right? So just bear with me. This is what the, there are four things given in verse 21. Think with me, reason with me. There are four spiritual gifts. There are two of them that are partial and say we don't need the other two. So those four gifts that who planned for the church? God planned for the church. Of those four gifts that God said belong in the church, two of them have just been cast aside. And the reason the gifts were given to the church were for the benefit of us all. The church is now missing out. Now, reason with me even more. When someone is not walking in the Spirit, when someone is disobeying, when someone is ungodly, is sinning in their spiritual walk, how effective is God's ministry through them at that point? At least it's diminished, if not rendered ineffective completely. So now, our scenario, two of them have said, the other two get out. Now, how effective are those remaining two that have become partial in themselves and judges of evil thoughts? Most likely, very little. So what God had planned for the church of have the benefit of all four gifts, we almost have nothing. The consequence of us being partial in ourselves, we lose out significantly. We lose out significantly. You won't find that there in verse 21. As I meditated and we reasoned as, and I considered it, it was eye-opening. It was eye-opening. We lose out much. The church loses all around. So what's the alternative? Well, what are God's thoughts? You remember in verse 11, the end of verse 11, God divides to every man severally as he will. In verse 18, it's God that sets the members every one as it hath pleased him. Colossians 1, 16 through 18, familiar to us, all things were created by him. We think of the earth, we think of the animals, we think of everything around us. All things were created by him and for him. By him, by him all things consist. The very next verse, and he is the head of the body, the church. God is the one that is designing all of this, not only creation, not only the earth, but right into the church. In the context, the church is part of that. So God chooses, God designs, God says, I've chosen the poor, and we've despised the poor. Thank God's thoughts. So let's get back to the body parallel. Consciously, in verse 21, we know, we know as humans, there is much value to the hand, do we not? There's much value, and yet in this example, the eye was not aware of that value. It was making a very poor decision to say, I have no need of the hand. We know the feet are important parts of our body. The head is saying, I have no need of you. Okay, and I, I wrote, I said, certainly it seems ridiculous that the, the eye would say to the hand or the head to the foot, 
but at least there's a potentially immature perspective if we have gifts and we're saying we don't need these. So we need to grow in God's view and God's choice, God's design, just as we see the value in our physical, our hand. Do you see the value of your hand, of your foot? Okay. See the value in all of the gifts, whether we immediately recognize that or not. There is value in that. Okay, so let's look at verses 22 and 23. And I'll tell you, caring for others or thinking in that way, it's not natural for me. I have to learn it because my natural bent is selfish. Have I um, been at fault of being partial? I have. Um, not only tempted, but also succumb to temptation. And I'll, and I can say this, I'm not the Holy Spirit, but no temptation has come to me that's not common to man. If I've been tempted, no doubt, temptation comes. Whether we have succumbed to temptation or not, be aware of that. We need to focus on what God has given. So let's look at verse um, 22 through 24. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, there's our word honor again, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness, for our comely parts have no need. Let's start with verse 24, as we consider, it's contrary really to my natural direction, but God gives us the right direction. Verse 24, for our comely parts have no need. Okay, there are those things that I don't have to elevate because they are already elevated all by themselves. I wrote this. When God formed man, he made us perfect. He made us complete. He made us presentable before the fall. I'll, I'll be discreet here, but he made us perfect. We didn't need anything to cover. We were completely presentable. Of course, after the fall, right, we, we clothe ourselves, which is right. Um, when I think of that aspect, I think of the face. Do we have to really highlight the value of the face or give honor to the face? And some of our, one of our, our Sunday school um, studies on music, communication, uh, one of the things that comes up is 93% of communication happens other than words. Words are important, but communication happens other than words. And much of that happens right here. We do a lot of communicating through our face. There is value. There is vibrancy that happens. We recognize that. Do we have to give more honor to it? Well, let's continue. So we know our face is comely or it's presentable. There's no need to make more of it than has already been designed. But what about that which is not so presentable? So God made the body presentable in the Garden of Eden. Now think of what wasn't visible in the Garden of Eden. I don't want to be graphic, but think of inside us. Things that aren't very presentable. But now think of verse 21. If those presentable things or those comely things or those spiritual gifts said, I have no need of other things, the less comely parts. It won't take very long when I say, 
hey, the eye says, I don't see the stomach. It's not very helpful. I'm going to get rid of it. Right? You just take out the stomach. Somebody's going to start screaming. They're going to be like, say, stop that. Because why? It's valuable. You now start seeing the importance of those uncomely, the less comely parts. The external, the comely, the presentable, that which is not so comely. But now let's look. Verse 22. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. But those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. The body parallel I just shared with you, right? The skin, the outward, the presentable parts, the inside less presentable, yet we need to bestow more honor. God says, I'm going to bestow more honor on these un uncomely parts. We need to keep them. The gifts that we might be partial in ourselves and say we don't need, we do need to keep them. God has chosen the members, as far as the church is concerned, the members, the gifts that he gives. God has distributed the gifts. Let's look at the rest of verse 24. God's design, we've seen this before, but it's continued. And the second part of verse 24, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. God balances how we look at the body. It's really easy, right? James 2, it's really easy to say, hey, to the rich, the one in gay apparel, come sit here. But we lose focus on the poor. But God has chosen the poor. God has chosen the poor. So God balances things. He levels the playing field. He is the one that balanced the body together. And because of our weakness, right, we did not give appropriate honor to that part which lacked. He said, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. We need to give the appropriate honor to each portion of the body. The less comely parts are lacking, but they get more abundant honor. I need I need a course correction. We need recalibration of what we see as the importance, the important items, the important gifts in the church. God has chosen the poor. The comely parts get more honor. I need to spend time. We need to spend time. We need to refocus and learn to honor the less comely. Now verse 25. The reason our care for others I don't hold my cards very well close to my chest. I just, I share them. And during our first message together, when we started going through uh, first uh, chapter 12, as I was reading and studying, I got to the part that I wasn't even thinking I would get to because the body, and as, as we work together, that's great because you know we're in, we're in the interim process between pastors. And then as I kept reading, it's like, okay, verse 25 starts... With, with that word, that, or you could even read, so that. Well, why is that there? Well, all of this was given so that there should be no schism in the body. No, are differences okay? Yes. Is division okay? No, right? The schism that is talked about there, all of these things are working together so there's no schism in the body. But instead of schism, instead of, instead of divisions, 
but that the members should have the same care one for another. Right, that replacement principle, if there is schism, if there is division, if in our hearts we have that pensity, if, if you have that bent, okay, remove that, take that out. And what do you put in its place? Care one for another. As we love each other, we care for each other, Philippians 1.9, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. We love one another. We care one for another. The church, the body of Christ, the way we're supposed to work is that there's many of us working together, worshiping together with the same care for each other. We're not biased in any way. Is it possible to be partial? Yep. Do we have to be on guard for that? Yes, but don't be biased. Don't be partial in our care. When I consider the applicational transition uh, to our, our deacon installation, our knowledge that we have of this passage, knowing what you know, is the care for each other directed at just the pastor? No, we're talking about all the members of the body. The pastor is one of them, but the members of the body. So is this care for each other isolated and directed at the deacons? Not just in and of themselves. All members. This is directed for all members. All members working together, caring together, the same care one for another. Do we have a picture of how this care happens and how the gifts are distributed, God's design, the body parallel that we see, the importance of all the gifts for the purpose of caring one for another? What happens when that care doesn't happen or it happens imperfectly? What happens? Turn to Acts chapter 6. Turn to Acts chapter 6. The early church, Acts chapter 6, verse 1, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. When care doesn't happen perfectly, we see what starts to occur. Verse 2, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Now, I'm not a pastor. I think Rick commented on this just early. We have lots of resources at our avail uh, available to us to kind of read what God is saying or thinks about intending to say. I don't have a lot of those resources. Personally, 
I like to see what's in front of me in God's word and what he says and how he comments about his own scriptures. So what do I see here in verse 6? Certainly as the church was growing, the numbers of the disciples was multiplying, there was a response to something, right? There was a murmuring. They responded. And who was responding? Well, there were Grecians against the Hebrews, so at least the church, it was, it was diverse in that, in that whether it's just uh, the ethnicities were, were varied or even uh, when Jesus or Paul went first to the Jews and then went to the Gentiles. So you have a combination of, of Christians here. But there's a specific group called out. Widows are specifically mentioned here. And there's an act of carelessness that's happening. They were neglected. But yet we're supposed to care, the same care one for another. And if that doesn't happen, there's certainly a carelessness or a neglect that's happening in the daily ministration. So there's a, and I wrote down a few things. Not only was it a specific uh, group, but there was purposeful ministry. I know sometimes ministries, programs get a bad rap, but if there's purposeful ministry, the daily ministration is a good thing. The daily ministration, there are ministries in the church that are good, that are needed, necessary. Now, I know I, I did some study some time ago regarding the deacon, and in if, so think of this with me, and I'm not going there, if the church were to completely and perfectly, based on God's design, care for each other, right? The early church, there is a reason deacons were formed, deacons were created. If the church was caring perfectly, would there have been a need for deacons? So I'm not saying we're going to perfectly care and we're going to absolve the deacon position, right? I'm not saying that. So this came as a result, uh, rather because of the neglect that was happening and to prevent that, right? The deacon uh, was born out of this need. Now let me share just a small a side note. We're in the interim between pastors. We come across a passage like this. In verse, well, in verse 2 and verse 4, it's not reason that we, you know, Paul, you know, a preacher, uh, the preachers, the apostles, it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables, in verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. As we're looking for a pastor, as we recognize um, the man that God brings across our path, there are pastoral type characteristics that we should be aware of, and we should seek to support in that. We should help, we should observe, we should see a pastor that wants to focus on the Word of God, that wants to pray. When I see the end of verse 2, it's not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. That's many of us know that serve comes from that Greek word diakonos or diakoneo, which is the verb form of that. Interestingly enough, end of verse 1, the daily ministration is that same root form, diakonia. In verse 2, serve tables, diakoneo, right? It's that verb form. And then in verse 4, the pastors are giving themselves over to the ministry of the word. It's that same word, diakonia. It's not that the pastors don't have some ministry where they serve, but they're focused on specific ministries. And it seems like from a deacon's perspective, 
there's a carving out of some things that maybe the Apostle Paul or others, the apostles were doing, that would help free them up for the ministry of the word. So there's that serving tables aspect, that, um, what did I, that purposeful ministry that the deacons would help uh, in. Well, in 1 Corinthians 12, we were there. We looked at caring for each other. We looked at what happens when it doesn't happen perfectly. When one member suffers, right, we all should experience that. But the deacon, the deacon, the servant was selected to serve, certainly in a certain ministration aspect. At least in this case, a section of the ministry was carved out for the deacon to oversee, to manage, to administer, instead of the pastor carrying this load. And as we, we transition to our, our, our deacon installation, I do want, I'm sorry that Tom and Barbara aren't here. They were fe feeling not well this morning. I did want to thank Tom. Tom has completed his full three-year term, which has been a great help. And I wanted to thank him specifically uh, for the service and the care right, that he has uh, had during this time. I think it was very helpful. I think Paul and I came on board uh, just this year as Pastor Maudsley was, was departing. So there was a stabilizing factor as Tom worked with uh, Pastor Maudsley and the previous deacons coming around the corner and uh, kind of helping out in that way. His activity with the pastoral advisory uh, group and his continued support there. And as I, the, the joy, even as... Uh, Tom rotates off, Peter rotates on. As I was meditating on the, the deacon you know, position, even the qualifications, I joyed in the fact of the biblical process that we, we read it, and you can, you can see it there, the biblical process of the deacons being elected, um, positioned, chosen, whatever you want to call it, but they were selected because they were already serving. In verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of these things, honest rapport. The men were selected for who they were, not what they were to become. So the true man of honest rapport that was selected as deacon doesn't change because his term ends. It doesn't change. So rather, there may be some additional freedom to serve to diakoneo in different ways. The tables might change, but the man is the same. And for that, Tom, um, I want to... If he's, I'm not sure if he's online listening, but thank you so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it and look forward to other ministries that you have as well. And then I want to thank the church. Because in verse 3, the apostle said, Wherefore, brethren, the church, look ye out among you seven men of honest rapport. Thank the church. I want to thank you for choosing, uh, choosing Peter as the deacon. And I'll say this. We as the church, as we chose, um, as we sent out the, at our business meeting, you know, there were 15 of 16 that affirmed Peter. One was uh, abstained from voting, uh, but we affirmed Peter and selected Peter to serve as deacon for our church, which is great. And as a reminder, really, to Paul, myself, to Peter, as I'm thinking about the deacon, we're human. We are human, but we have... We have been put in this place, and we need to see the need, even as we looked at this Sunday uh, and the other messages in 1 Corinthians 12, because there's an others-oriented need as members care one for another. We need to be caring 
for the members of the church. The church members need to be caring for each other. We need to see that there's an others-oriented need as we help our future pastor. As we help him focus on the word, give himself continually to prayer, to support in that effort so that he can do those things and we have to do uh, what's expected of us. And there's an others-oriented need as we exemplify Christian character and our boldness through Christ. Um, several years ago, uh, a pastor shared a verse in 1 Timothy, and I wrote it down, verse, 1 Timothy 3.13, regarding the deacon, regarding how we use that office. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, so we can use the office of a deacon poorly, right? But we can, our goal is to use the office of the deacon well and purchase to ourselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I thought of the example of Stephen, chosen as a deacon, preaches, and not just a couple of chapters later um, was that part of the stoning, right? He's preaching and he's being stoned by the apostle Paul, right? Saul at the time, but he had great boldness in the faith. So those that use the office of a deacon well, so really it's a challenge to Paul, myself, Peter, use the office of a deacon well and purchase great boldness.